Thank you, Carol. Uh, well, we just prayed, haven't we, that God will give us churches a hunger for his ways. And that's our present as we look at his word this morning and ask him to speak to us afresh through it now. So do keep that open, Acts 2, the second of this little mini-series looking at good news, the good news of Jesus. And last week we looked at the good news that saves. Um, and if you were not here last week, you missed it, that'll be on our website. So do have a listen to that. Today, part two, looking at good news that shapes. And that may sound like an advert for our fitness class. Um, it could be. But actually, as we'll see, it's, it's more to do with the way that churches are called to be Christ-shaped in who we are and how we live and what we do. I was at a conference last week uh, for about 200 vicars from all over Norwich Diocese. Um, yeah, I know, exciting. Sounds very exciting. It does. Um, and one of the highlights of the conference was the BBC journalist, Bridget Kendall, speaking. Uh, she's now actually a, a master of a Cambridge College. She's left the BBC and journalism. But she was describing the challenges the BBC has faced over the last 20, 30 years as cultures changed very rapidly. She talked about how the reputation the BBC always had for informed and balanced journalism has been under challenge. And it's partly because the world has gone digital, so news is happening very fast now, and we can see things globally as they happen. And it's been democratised, she meant by that, that nowadays anyone with a smartphone and an internet connection can video an event or their own news piece about the event and post it on YouTube and they've become a journalist just like that. We can all do that. And she's saying that's very challenging for the BBC to keep maintaining standards of accuracy whilst keeping up with the speed of news and making sure that the reporting is as far as possible balanced. And it got me thinking about another organisation, if you like, the church. We face a similar challenge from culture, a, a world that is now a very disconnected world, everyone on their phones and screens, a digital world in which churches can quickly look behind or irrelevant, and you've, I'm sure, read the news, not just in recent years, but even last weeks about the decline of numbers in many churches, and especially among children, young people, and young adults. And the church has got to grapple with the same sort of thing the BBC's been doing. How do we keep our core ministry, the reason we're here going and doing it well, whilst the world around is changing so fast? And that is always the question for every church in every generation. How do we keep sharing Jesus, building faith in Jesus, whatever the world around us is doing? Now, some people have tried to make the church more relevant in different ways. Um, so for, for some people over the last few years, it's been all about having a very contemporary look to your church service. So, you know, rock concert lighting and extraordinary levels of technology from the front. But actually you're left very much as a congregation member rather passive. Others have gone down the route of changing the message to make it more palatable to a, a very, again, democratized, liberalized culture. So let's stop saying what the Bible says about a number of different issues in order 
to make ourselves feel more relevant to people. So the question this morning really is this. What does a healthy church look like? What shape should we have to be both faithful to Jesus and influential, impactful, connected with our culture? What are the marks, if you like, of a healthy church? Now, over recent years again, um, some very helpful books have been written about this whole area of what are the, the marks, the focuses of a healthy church. John Stott, uh, a very famous Bible teacher of the last generation, uh, did a great book called The Living Church, and he listed just four, and actually based on this passage. So some of my ideas, actually, came straight from him. Uh, there are other books, too, Christ and His People, by the late Mark Ashton. He listed eight, and... Uh, We've got some copies. It's a very small little book. Um, so do ask us for that next week. We'll get some more of those. Uh, but the clearest yet, I think, of these books is called Nine. So the number's going up, isn't it? Four, eight, nine marks of a healthy church by a friend of mine called Mark Diva. And he lists, well, nine in that book. Again, ask us for details of those different books if you want to read more on this stuff. But we're going to look this morning at just, you'll be glad to know, three And as we look at good news that shapes, these are the the three marks that Acts chapter 2 says shape and become the shape of a healthy Christ-shaped church. And actually, we saw a fourth one last week, so we've done one already. The good news, the gospel as we call it, the message of Jesus is the first, and actually that's the, uh, the defining mark. And it's also the originating sign. That's where we get our life as a church from the good news itself. The message of Jesus. That was number one. Okay? So this week, looking at the good news that shapes three more of the marks of a Christ-shaped church. The first one is preaching. I know you think, okay, you're a preacher. You would say that. But uh, give me a second. Let's have a look at what the text says about this. In the verses just before our reading from last week's passage, Peter and Alex started with this, Peter preached the good news, the message about Jesus, and how he died and he rose again to bring us back to God, whoever we are, to forgive our sins, to put us right with God, not by what we do, but what God has done. That's the good news. That's what Peter, well, what did he do? He preached it. Preaching is simply the public proclaiming, declaring, heralding of that good news. And as we saw, the impact of that preaching was remarkable. It says that 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that probably just, in those days, they counted just the men. So it actually would have included probably an equal number of women, or perhaps even more, because women are often quicker on the uptake with these things, and children. Two. So it may well have been five, six, ten thousand people. Extraordinary. All through the preaching of the good news. Then we read in verse 42, again, part of the same mark of, of preaching, that these people, these tens of thousands, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The preaching and teaching of the message about Jesus is the first mark of a healthy church. 
if you find a church on our travels, if you move to University City and you look for a, uh, for a church there as a student, look for this mark. Is the preaching and teaching of the good news happening here? And notice it takes place, this, this preaching, uh, in two ways, both in reaching out to those who haven't heard it, what we call evangelism, good newsing, literally, reaching out, but also, secondly, it takes place in what they call teaching. The converts, the young Christians, devoted themselves to the teaching. So again, it's both for the outsider, proclaiming the good news to them, but also for us, the, many of us here this morning perhaps, insiders, already followers of Christ, teaching us the good news too. And it's the teaching of, notice, the apostles, that matters. It wasn't just any old teaching, um, and it wasn't, you know, math teaching, language teaching, geography, whatever. Those are great, but it's the apostles' teaching the church is giving itself to here. And the apostles, again, it's a jargon word. It simply means the very first disciples, uh, the twelve disciples of Jesus, those that were eyewitnesses of his life and death, and especially his resurrection. Easter morning when he came alive. As eyewitnesses, their teaching about Jesus was defining for the life of the church. They had the authentic message because they had known the real living Jesus. Now, how do we hear their teaching today? Because they're not physically here, are they? We haven't got Peter or John in church this morning. Very exciting if we did have, but we don't. Well, it's, it's, of course, it's through the books they wrote. It's through Peter and John and James and the others that all the books of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, have been given to us. Inspired by God's Spirit, they wrote this for us. So, if a vicar standing at the front delivering a sermon, or for that matter a bishop or an evangelist, Um, They are only worth listening to, I include myself here, if they are not just spouting their own ideas, but are bringing us, proclaiming, preaching the words of Jesus' followers. The authentic Christian good news. So that means, doesn't it, the point in a church service, just thinking about how we shape our church, The point of the church service where God is most likely to speak to me is when? It's the Bible reading. As authentic, inspired words of God are read for us. And then I guess secondly, it's then the sermon when, certainly this church, we look to open up what the scriptures say for us today. Of course, God speaks in other ways too, but those are the heart of where the preaching and the teaching of the apostles' message happens on a Sunday. We'll come back to things like small groups a little later. Now, it's also worth just saying here, sermons can be, I know, dull, um, or just disconnected from our lives. Uh, The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, a preacher needs both light, i.e. good content, biblical content, and, importantly, fire. The sense that this is life-changing. This is vital for us all to hear it and take it in and respond to it. So we do need light and fire in our preaching and in our teaching across the whole church. But we do need, above all, 
the message, the apostles' preaching. So can I just suggest as a kind of take home, over coffee today, before we even finish together today, or perhaps with a Christian this week, in your small group on Wednesday, ask how the Bible's teaching has spoken to them recently. As it's been proclaimed and taught in the church. It's a great way, isn't it, to find out how God is speaking through his word in a preaching-shaped, Christ-shaped church. Here's the second mark, then. First one's preaching. Second one is partnership. Partnership. Verse 42 continues. Don't worry, we'll get faster. (laughs) It continues. The Christians devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, that word fellowship, it's a word about sharing life together. We get the words community from this word and the word communion. Or partnership. So the Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then you and I are members of a partnership of all Christ's followers together, a community. And if you're a seeker this morning, you're looking in, that's what we pray through God's good news to you, you will join. And we're united as believers, not by a common interest, that we all like football, or even that we all support the same football team. I mean, there are communities of those things, aren't there? You can go to a football match as a fan. You can join a fans club online and so on. Um, or you could be, a, I don't know, a, a bird watcher. You could be a, someone in their f- 20s. We could have communities of all these things, common interests or common life stages, young mums. But we are not a community founded on the basis of a common interest or a common life stage, are we? We're actually founded across our differences on one common thing, the community of Jesus' followers. It's Jesus. It's the gospel, isn't it, that brings us together. And we are actually the only church on earth that doesn't just bond people by something they have in common naturally, but actually bridges our differences to unite us in the one thing that unites, which is Jesus, the Spirit. So Jesus was met once by a Canaanite woman. You can read this in the Gospels. She wasn't Jewish, and she asked him to to bless her, to heal her daughter who was sick. Uh, Jesus was at first a little apparently standoffish on this, He pushed her a bit, and she came back and said, no, look, um, even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall from the children's table. And it's her way of saying, uh, because the Jews in that culture called non-Jews dogs sometimes, she was saying, look, even we who are not Jewish, surely we deserve to get some sort of blessing from God. Don't keep it all to yourselves. And Jesus looked at her and he said, look, um, your faith... Your faith is remarkable. Your faith that God reaches to people, whoever they are. Not on the basis of social background or even ethnic religious background, Jewish or Gentile, but on the basis of faith in me. And her daughter was healed. And the church is brought together on the basis of our faith in Jesus. 
that we've all been redeemed, brought back to new life through what he has done. And we're brought together, therefore, across everything else that makes us different. Age, gender, social background, anything. So we share in, again, two ways. We are a community spiritually and materially. We share spiritually in what is called, in, in the same verse 42, the breaking of bread. It probably is a reference there to what we call the communion, the Lord's Supper, where we, we break bread and share it to remember that we're part of one body because Jesus died for us. So we share spiritually as a community, but we also share materially as a community. Uh, the verse goes on to describe how, uh, the passage goes on to describe how they gave to all who had need. Verse 44, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, this thing about they had everything in common, it may sound like communism. You know, the kind of Jesus preceded Lenin by 2,000 years. Uh, people had no property and everything was held in common. But actually, if you read on, it then says later they met in one another's home. So they clearly hadn't given away their property entirely. What it is saying is that where another member of this community, the followers of Jesus, had a need, whether it was emotional, spiritual, or material, someone else met it for them. Because families do that. Communities of commitment do that. So the material sharing went with the spiritual sharing. So what's that mean for us today, being uh, a partnership, a community? Well, it means a couple of things. First thing, that means that if you are here and you're coming to the Welcome Course perhaps, but you're wondering about joining, being a Christian means being part of this community, the faith community of Jesus, and that means more than, a lot more than, just turning up on Sunday. Doesn't it? It means that we are a family, a body, a partnership, a community, and we belong to each other. We owe care and commitment to each other. Love, kindness, generosity. The New Testament's full of phrases ending in one another. Love one another. Share with one another. Forgive one another, and so on. Commitment. And I guess the other thought is this. The deepest partnership in human life is built not, as we've seen, by bringing people together, by what already unites them. The fact that we all love watching cricket matches, for instance. But actually by bringing us together around Jesus. That means that as a church, our focus must be on Jesus at the center of all we do. And our, our core ministry, our shape as a church, is about whenever we get together, how can I share Jesus with someone who's not heard of him before, or, and or, how can we encourage each other to follow Jesus more closely? Because that's what unites us most deeply. So, partnership, that's the second of our marks this morning. Preaching and teaching, partnership, which is both material and spiritual. Here's the third one, praying. 
verse 42 says again, the last thing that the church was devoted to was to prayer. Actually, it's a plural, to the prayers, to the activities of praying together. And again, the prayers, if you follow through this passage, happened in more than one way, actually two ways. There were formal prayers, rather like we do on a Sunday here, but also informal prayers, as just believers got together informally. So formally, the first Christians, who were almost all Jewish, these were the disciples of Jesus, they were Jewish to begin with, continued to join the prayers at the temple. Isn't that quite striking? Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was what Jews did. You went for prayers once, twice, or three times a day. And if you're in Jerusalem, you went to the temple, and you joined in the prayers of the people. And even though they'd now become Jesus' followers, they kept doing that. I'm sure they weren't still taking part in the the offering of sacrifices for sins, because Jesus did that for us on the cross. But they're taking part in the prayers. It's a nice reminder that Uh, whilst informal prayers are wonderful things, there is a value and a meaning in the gathering together like this, to join in prayers of praise, of confession, and as we will in a few minutes, of intercession, praying for the world. But the prayers are informal too. As well as meeting the temple, it says, they broke bread in their own homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Those meetings in homes sound like they had a number of things happening. Simon mentioned this earlier with his small group, but they they were eating together, they were praising God, they were praying together, and I'm sure they were gathering around the scriptures, opening the apostles' teaching, listening to the apostles together. And so we have these things all small groups in the church because they reflect what we find in the New Testament as normal Christian church membership. Prayer, prayer together with others, is part of a healthy church. It's one of the marks of a Christ-shaped community. And I guess it's because prayer is both a response to what God has said in his word and also a submission to his perfect will that when we pray together, we always open the Bible first and then pray in response to what we read And we always join in committing ourselves to God's will, declaring our trust in him. We pray, don't we? When we come together on a Sunday, uh, and when we gather with other Christians, maybe one-to-one or in a small group, we pray not because we believe that we have power and wisdom to put the world right, or even put ourselves right, but because we believe that God does. He's promised to build his kingdom And he will, and at least in part, through our prayers. Remember remember my first bishop in London, um, who wasn't of our kind of evangelical tradition at all, um, but he was a very godly, humble man. And whenever we'd have a meeting with him, and this isn't always true, sadly, of church leaders you meet, whenever we finished a meeting with him, he'd always say, well then, let's have a moment of prayer. And that was a great little lesson for all of us. Whenever we have a meeting and it's appropriate to do so, to have a prayer at the end. It's a way of saying, isn't it? As he was saying, look, we've done this business, we've used our brains, we've tried our best to reason through an issue and a problem, we've made a plan, but actually what really matters is that we pray about it. 
because God knows what is right in a way that we don't. And God has a power to do what's right in a way that we don't. So we also committed it to the Lord as we finished a meeting. So again, a couple of practical thoughts on what prayer means for us as a church family. One is this. Praising God was part of their prayer life. It should surely be part of ours too. Um, Again, whether you're in a small group or here on a Sunday, please, let's not be a church where someone's doing some music at the front and we're just sort of standing there. Let's be a church where we want to praise God for the goodness of Jesus and as we do it, we can encourage each other by singing those words. We've got some great words in our service this morning, haven't we, on our songs. Singing those words to focus our attention on Jesus. So let's praise, but also let's come together to pray. Um, Sundays, we have always this time in our services to pray together in a number of ways. But in the week, our monthly evening prayer focus is, I would say, our main meeting. The most important meeting we have. Because... Here on Sundays, I guess we have a mixture, don't we, of, of committed church followers, many of us that are probably still finding our way into church and searching. But at that prayer focus, we really come together as believers in Christ with the needs of the church and of the world on our hearts and lay them before the Lord. Let's be a praying church as well as a preaching and a partnering church. You see, it is churches. Not necessarily that have fantastic lighting or celebrity preachers that are healthy churches. It's churches that have these three marks, along with the fourth one, the good news we saw last time. This is what a Christ-shaped church looks like. And as I finish to encourage us, did you notice the healthy fruit that begins to come from a healthy-shaped church? says that they ate together in their homes with, at the end of verse 46, glad and sincere hearts. So when we have these marks among us, God will begin to grow joy, gladness among us. And sincerity, sincere, probably there actually means generous. They were just giving to each other because God was releasing their hearts through the healthy life within them. And then as well as the joy And the generosity, there was a third thing, wasn't there? Right at the end of our reading, verse 47, growth. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One little tip for you, maybe to take up something I found helpful over the years. Every Sunday before Sunday, please pray for those that are preaching, but also pray that God will add new people to us. Pray that God will send new people every Sunday. And it's amazing when we pray this, how he begins to do that. So let's pray he'll add to our number. Because it's, it's not a church business plan that grows the church. It's not even a, a great but lone evangelist that grows the church. It's not technology. It is the healthy church. Founded on the preaching, the partnering, and the praying. The healthy church is... Bill Hybels says, is the hope of the world. Not the other stuff. The healthy church is the hope of the world. The hope of Norwich, the hope of our community here, 
The hope of every one of us here this morning indeed. God uses Christ-shaped preaching, partnership and prayer to grow our number as he saves us one life at a time and as he fulfills his promise that on this rock, the good news, he will build his church. So let's pray for that together now. Let's pray. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we come together as your people, it is far more than just the number here gathered together. But that by your life, you transform our lives. By your message, you change our hearts. And by this community, you change other communities too. So make us a people devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the partnership, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And through us, may your kingdom come, may your church be built, and may all be gathered into your kingdom whom you are calling through us. In Jesus' name. Amen.